Those hey, actually, After Earth could take place in Philadelphia. That's true. You really don't know. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Makai. And welcome to Silver Linings. The podcast where we search for the best... Or worst. ...in things you hate... Or love. Hello, hello, hello. Bonjour. That's the words that Count Olaf said to the Baudelaire orphans the first time he met them. And uh, that has nothing to do with our podcast because we are not doing it on a series of of unfortunate events. (laughs) Uh, Because that whole... We don't need to find silver linings for those books. Exactly. Everyone knows they're the best children's books ever. Ever made. I liked your Facebook (laughs) post uh, earlier in the week about him. Jeff Uh, Kinney and Lemony Snicket, the best comedy writers ever. Oh, absolutely. They're great. Did you like the... uh, We're already veering off into something different. (laughs) Uh, Did you like the the series on Netflix? Um, I liked... I enjoyed it as a fan of the books. Um, I'm not sure. It's hard when you see Jim Carrey play someone and then anyone else try to play that same character. Same thing with the the Grinch movie that just came out. Yeah, Matthew. (laughs) But yeah, I actually did like the series. It was well done. I I liked that it was done kind of Wes Anderson-esque. Yeah, it was like if Wes Anderson and Tim Burton wrote down a bunch of ideas and then neither of them directed a show. That's what that was. Correct. <laughs> and then Patrick Warburton was involved. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Makai, uh, tell the... where. What are we up to now? What, what's our listener count? We are up to 12 billion. Billion? Billion. 12 And there's only 6 listeners. million people on the planet. Or billion, hey, I mean. We are streaming on Jupiter now. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, all you, I was going to say Martians, but that didn't make sense. Jupitians. Jupitians. Yeah. All you Jupitians enjoying silver linings. Thanks for the support. Um, yeah, so tell our 12 billion listeners uh, what they're in for today. Today, Jupitians, we are going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water. Which, you know, was really the first, not the first, but the first widely accepted movie of his for everyone to say it was not good. Yeah. Um, Before he had had, you know, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, which everyone kind of generally agreed, mm-hmm. even though they and had their flaws, were great. This was and then, the, and then The Village, yeah. Yeah, which was had mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, and then this was the first one that everyone really slammed on, mm-hmm. um, which it's, it's, it's easy to see why, but personally, I love this movie. I think there are so, so many great things that all outweigh the flaws and yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, what's your experience with this movie, Will? Um, okay. So I'm a huge fan of M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, he's one of my favorite directors. He directed, let me, I, cause I have a list of my favorite movies, like a top 100 and six cents is very high up on the list. Oh, um, wow. give me a sec. You want to know something? I do. Never seen sixth sense. You've never seen ex- the sixth. I know exactly what happens from beginning oh, to end well, of that movie. There we go. 
but I I've didn't. never seen it. When I first saw it. My dad showed it to me when I was about 10. Um, it's a lot scarier than people think it's going to be. It is <laughs> my fifth favorite movie of all time. Wow. Yeah. It's behind uh, Catch Me If You Can, Midnight in Paris, The Shawshank Redemption, and Life is Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, I love The Sixth Sense. I love Signs. I love Unbreakable. Unbreakable, criminally under underrated. I think that's my favorite Shyamalan movie. It's an incredible yeah. movie. I uh, I rank that as with The Dark Knight as the greatest superhero movie of all time, which my sister uh, begs to differ and says that it is not a superhero movie. But, I mean... Ooh. Perhaps a debate think about for it. another time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 100% a superhero movie. I love that I'd movie. I totally call it a superhero movie. So, uh, I love M. Night Shyamalan. My dad likes his movies, and but as I was growing up, he kind of instilled in me the, the belief that, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, as he went on, every movie he made got worse. I don't necessarily agree with that because there are some movies recently that are incredible. Yeah. Um, Split is a very good movie. I'm not a huge fan, but The Visit is unbelievable, in my opinion. I love that movie. Now, um, how I was trying to remember, how involved was Shyamalan with The Visit? Okay, The Visit it was released in 2015. It doesn't feel like... Writer, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Gotcha, okay. So it's his movie. So that was I the only real movie. horror movie he ever made. Um, yeah, it's it's more of a horror movie than The Sixth Sense, but I would yeah. call The Sixth Sense a horror movie. I think The Sixth Sense is deeper than most quote unquote horror movies. Yes. Um, the Sixth Sense was the midsummer of its day. Correct. Like yeah, The Sixth Sense is one of the few movies I genuinely cry during. Uh, it's the scene in the car. Oh, you haven't seen the movie. I haven't so, seen the movie. <laughs> uh, all 12 million of you who have seen it, or 12 billion of you who have seen it, uh, I cry every time the scene comes where him and his mom, played by Tony Collette, who is in every movie ever made, uh, when they're in the car and he's telling her that he talked to her mother who has died, I cry every time that happens. So anyway... This, so when I first watched this movie, I went into it, uh, Lady in the Water, I went into it believing that it was going to be a bad movie, and that was already in my mind, and so I kind of dismissed it as I was watching it. It was the, this was the first time I had ever seen it all the way through, uh, which was about two hours ago when I watched it, uh, and you know what? I did not hate it. I did not hate this movie. Yeah. I didn't love it. I thought there were some moments that kind of dragged. I thought there were some silly moments. But overall, I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, so. and I think that's a, that's kind of what I hope to hear from everyone. You know, I had, a, I had a very personal... I guess not even personal. I had a very emotional connection to this movie the first time I saw it. So I really, really love it. Yeah. And I understand not everyone can emotionally connect to every to the same movies, but I think that people watching this overcoming the Shyamalan bias that has become more prevalent in recent days, 
um, can at least acknowledge that this is not a terrible movie and did not deserve as much critical hate as it got. Exactly. And that, and that happens because I, there are movies that are on my favorite movies list that have no business being mentioned with the Shawshank Redemption and the <laughs> Sixth Sense and Jaws and the Graduate, like Fever Pitch uh, or, <laughs> or Like Mike. For the longest time, Like Mike was my favorite movie. Like up until like my senior year of high school when I really got serious about movies, Like Mike was my favorite movie. And that's because I was really into basketball when I was little. And I really liked Vince Carter and Steve Nash. And they were both in that movie. And I was like, this is so cool. I get to see them outside of their element. Yeah. I'm, watch, I'm watching this movie where they're playing themselves, but it's funny and it's cool and it's fun. It's about a little kid who plays basketball, and I, I'd like to play in the NBA someday. Um, <laughs> that will not happen. But, you know, there are movies like that that touch you in a personal place, and you can't help but lump them in with your favorite movies. And that's why one of my favorite superhero movies is Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, and we will talk about that next season. Ooh. I'm trying I'm trying to drop as many hints now okay. so that it's like a Thanos setup in gotcha. our cinematic universe. Do we have so a when we finally universe? talk about it, it's a big okay. deal. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> Lady in the Water was released in 2006. It is starring Paul Giamatti and Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard is the daughter of uh, the famed child actor and famed director, Ron Howard. Um, she has been in a movie that we have talked about. She was yes. in Spider-Man 3. Her most critically acclaimed role as Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man yes. 3. <laughs> um, Paul Giamatti and her have kind of a connection when it comes to Spider-Man, because Paul Giamatti played Rhino in the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man 2. There's another hint. Oh, here um, we go. But I love Paul Giamatti. What's your what's your uh, what are your thoughts on Paul Giamatti? I in think the, he's great. I in this um, movie too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this exact. We had this exact conversation mm -hmm. in the Spider Man Three podcast. But um, the first thing I ever saw him in was Big Fat Liar. Yeah, me too. And I loved him in that. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I got older, I learned that he was not, in fact, a comedic actor. Yeah. And or no, I mean that's the thing. He is. He's just an everything actor. Yeah, he's he's, he's just great. He's a great actor. Yeah. Um he's one of the best actors in Hollywood, I think. And like I said in another podcast, Chris Rock called him the greatest actor in the world. That's crazy. Um you know what I think his best role is or I guess not best. What? That's that sounds objective. But like okay. my favorite of his roles mm -hmm. is uh he was in one episode of Downton Abbey. Okay, I I, I knew that. I haven't seen Downton Abbey. He's really good in that episode. Well, he's good in everything. He so is good in everything. <laughs> I am not surprised. Uh, so, yeah. This movie also stars M. Night Shyamalan. Um, he's like a secondary star, which, I mean, he's in all his movies. But in this movie especially, he has a very prominent role. Yeah, it's usually a cameo. And yeah, this like not a cameo. In The Sixth Sense, he plays the Doctor. In Unbreakable, he plays a jets game goer yeah uh in signs he's something no in signs he's the doctor that's right in signs the doctor in the sixth sense i can't remember what he is um but i think he's actually pretty good in this movie really yeah i 
surprisingly good. I'm not I'm not saying he's a great actor in this at all. I'm just saying I'm surprised with his performance. Okay. I expected him to be god awful. Okay. Um okay. he did get nominated for a Razzie. He did. He got nominated for worst actor and he won worst director. Uh and he was nominated for worst screenplay. So what I hate a great the yeah, I hate me the too. So me too. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, are we ready to talk about it? Let's talk about the movie. We gotta talk about it. It's what we talk about the movie. Gonna take a long time. So uh, this movie opens with a narration and some animation. Yes, and this is just okay. This is where I told you I had that emotional connection to it. This is where the connection started for me, because the voiceover is just relaxing and gorgeous the music okay it's guys. asmr okay oh yeah the whole movie is an asmr movie mm-hmm. it's a bedtime story he told his kids and he wanted it to feel yeah. like that the whole it's time incredible guys you know we love a good composer on silver linings absolutely and i i can think of none that could have done this movie better than mr james newton howard and just the beautiful angelic choir and orchestra that plays throughout this whole movie it's just gorgeous and i i wrote down music every single place that it just moves me emotionally and it carries the scene and it's just so many times throughout this movie and they never repeat a cue like at every Every single moment is a completely new piece of music. I mean, it's it, they use themes still, but mm-hmm. it's a new recording. It's in different keys, different instrumentation. I mean, it's just beautiful, and every time it hits the right heartstrings. Uh, speaking of music, I I was really moved by the music in this movie. I, it was incredible. It's the best movie. It's the best music I've ever heard in one of his films. By definitely far. by far. Um, the Unbreakable music was really good, but this is just on another level. Uh, I was looking through the credits at the end because I wanted to see uh, the music department and all that stuff. Under uh, the credit music score programming, uh, the name Chris P. Bacon appears. Hmm. Chris Thank P. you, Bacon. Mr. Bacon, for yeah. your service. Yeah. Delicious and musically <laughs> inclined. Deli- delicious bacon and delicious music yeah absolutely um that's a that's gonna be the theme of this podcast delicious <laughs> bacon and delicious music also the narrator of this opening uh thing is none other than uh david ogden steers who also did the opening narration to beauty and the beast the original oh so that's, That's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something cool in this sequence, um, towards the end of it, when you see the water spirits kind of leaving the men, the world of men, you see all their huts stacked on top of each other, which is a nod to the apartment complex that the whole oh, movie will be taking place in. Oh, look at that. <laughs> That's cool. Did you know that they built this apartment complex yes. for the movie? Yeah. No, they built the entire thing. It's amazing. It's, I was I'm reminded of um Abed in community uh talking about doing a bottle episode. Okay. And this is a bottle movie because mm-hmm. it all takes place in the same thing. 
that's true. <laughs> that's very true. I don't think uh, that's what you call it, but I'm going to call it that. They never leave the the hotel for anything. Yeah. Um, or motel or whatever, or apartment complex. I don't know. It's something. <laughs> uh, so we open on uh, Paul Giamatti's character. His name is Cleveland Heap, and he is that was a that was a sharp uh, after Heap. Um, <laughs> Cleveland Heap, he's, uh, fixing some plumbing underneath a sink in the, in this apartment with a bunch of women, um, who are very important later in the movie. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's killing something. We don't really find out what it is. And he has a stutter. Yes. Um, I also love, we get the, very early on in this movie, we get the signature, uh, Shyamalan, a single camera shot. Oh, absolutely. Where he just plants the camera somewhere and we just watch the scene play out for a while, which, you know, is just so uncommon in movies, mm-hmm. at least nowadays, especially. And, and it just, it works so well. And there's no doubt he pulled that, uh, that style of directing of just setting a camera and letting everything happen from Woody Allen. Cause yes. Woody Allen uses that a ton in all his movies. Um, especially Annie Hall. Uh, so that's a kind of a, I guess Woody Allen is to M. Night Shyamalan what Alfred Hitchcock is to Steven Spielberg. Uh, kind of a loose comparison. but Yeah. You know. I would also say, I, I mean, I would say that Woody Allen and Al, you see so much of Alfred Hitchcock in Shyamalan oh, also. Absolutely. He so, pulls, so much. He, he has the ability to pull from so many great directors and also make it his own. Yeah. Like when you watch a movie and you don't know it's M. Night Shyamalan, you're like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan because of that yeah. shot. You know, exactly. Uh, speaking of this next scene, when uh, Harry Farber shows up to the apartment complex and uh, he's talking to uh, Young Soon. What do you, you think of Young Soon? I, I feel like the character's a little too stereotypical uh, and it, they couldn't have gotten away with it these days. She did. Um, I don't know if she won, but she nominated for a Razzie worst okay. accent. Oh, wow. Worst yeah. accent. That's terrible. It really is. Um, no, but, but I, li- I like Young Soon, though. I like, I like how she functions uh, we, to, to Mr. Heap. Yeah. We do see uh, this shot. All you see is Farber's reactions uh, yes. to what she's saying. You don't see her at all, her face. Uh, you and just we get a lot of, of that in this movie. Uh-huh. He's very good at letting you assume what's happening. Uh, I, I, I want to just go ahead and I've already said this, but Paul Giamatti's incredible. He's incredible. I have uh, that written like eight times. He is so good in this. I have it a bunch of times in certain moments of the film. The stutter, a lot of times when you have a stutter uh, with a character, it, it's a little too much, but he's perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it's such and it's, a big it's part of his character. It's creative, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's incredible. Uh, this this movie also captures trashy uh, small town apartment dwellers perfectly, <laughs> especially uh, <laughs> Mr. Reggie. <laughs> I love Reggie. Reggie's great. Um, Every yeah. character in this movie, it with the exception of the ones that are intentionally written mm-hmm. to not be, every character in this movie is so lovable. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the characters is not 
you, one of the characters is so we'll get to her uh, is so subtle, but she may be my favorite character in the whole movie. Well, I'm um, excited to find out who. Uh, so then we have this pool guy who is talking to Cleveland about uh, something's happening with the water. It's too slick. It's like, yeah, hey, it's soapy. Uh, yeah, it's soapy. Are you having bubble bath parties at night? This guy makes me laugh, actually. Hey, I'd, the, like, the I'd, three like lines he a, I'd like to go to a bubble bath party, you know? <laughs> uh, that sounds like fun. But, yeah, and uh, so then Reggie is introduced to Mr. Farber. Reggie is just, Reggie's just great. <laughs> I love Reggie. What do you so feel? It, How do you feel about Reggie? I love Reggie. He's He's perfect. So if you haven't seen the movie, Reggie is working out. He, he's a scientist. He calls himself a scientist. Mm-hmm. And he is working out only one side of his body. So half of him is completely built and muscular, and half of him is just skinny and without any muscle. Yeah. Um, when you're watching the movie, I watched it on Amazon, um, and this you know, the x-ray thing comes up. Yeah. And it tells you facts. And this says, goofs, revealing mistake. At around five minutes, Reggie's muscular arm is obviously a prosthetic. Well, <laughs> duh. I don't think that's a mistake. I think that was intentional. Because this movie, I don't think this movie, if you assume that this movie takes itself seriously, you're not going to enjoy the movie. Exactly. Yeah. It's a stupid fairy tale, you know? And it's great when it when you look at it that way. Yeah. So, yeah. So we see Reggie. That's great. Mr. Farber is a no-nonsense movie critic. Which I love. I'll talk about this more in detail later. Mm -hmm. I love... Mr. Farber just seems like, okay, he's he's just a fun secondary antagonist. Mm -hmm. But it's so much more interesting to think about M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalan writing the character of Mr. Farber, knowing that he's coming off of the village being very poorly reviewed. By, oh, absolutely. I think critics. this whole movie subtly is a jab at movie critics. Yes. And I love it. I even wrote that down. Um, okay. So, Paul Giamatti. Here's another thing about Paul Giamatti. He plays a loser so well. <laughs> he really does. It's great. Just a down-on-his-luck guy who's you know doesn't have a lot going for him. Uh, I've told you before, one of my favorite movies is Sideways that he's in. It's about him and uh, his best friend, played by Thomas Hayden Church. And Thomas Hayden Church is getting married, and they go on like a a, a vineyard tour down the coast of California. And it's he's just such a loser in it. And he did not get nominated for... Uh, he did not get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that movie. And a lot of people think he should have won. So the next year, to make up for it, he was nominated for a movie he shouldn't have been nominated for. So Oscars, why can't you just get it right the first time? Hey, take it, take, uh, take Billy Joel's advice. Get it right the first time. That's the main thing. Get it right the go. next time. That's not the same thing. <laughs> what a lyric. William Joel, everyone. Good old Billy. In this scene, uh, Cleveland is introducing Mr. Farber to all the tenants, which is kind of a, way to introduce us to all the tenants because they're going to come back later, which I didn't realize at the time, you know? (laughs) So that was pretty cool. 
Yeah. Uh, it's great. The this movie is very good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's about storytelling. It's a bedtime I mean, story. The main girl's name is Story. Yeah. But um, but like they just he does it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, right here after the scene, this transition to the next scene, the music is beautiful. Yes. Um. Why is the pool shaped like that? <laughs> I actually thought about that today. Why is it? It's like trying to be a teardrop, but it's not. And and you know it was intentional because they built Cause this it, place. Exactly. That's, so. that's what makes it weirder. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have know. no I have no clue. Uh, so, yeah, pool shaped weird. Um, now, Mr. Cleveland hears someone splashing in the pool. And he goes outside to check it out. And what does he see, Makai? He sees a girl jump out, grab something. She goes back in the water. He freaks out about it. He's like, hey, because, you know, night swimming's not allowed. Mm-hmm. And he gets in the pool, which, ironically, he ends up being the one swimming in the pool at night. Mm-hmm. Then, when he gets out, because this girl's not coming up, and he's almost like kind of beginning to think he imagined it, but he definitely didn't. And he's freaking out. He gets out of the pool and slips on the soapy stuff that's been coming out of the pool and passes out and so realistically slowly falls into the pool and starts to drown. And I got to tell you, the first time I saw this definitely and even subsequential times, I get genuinely scared during this part because it's a very realistic thing to happen when there's just absolutely no one around. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's rough. Uh, I, I've always had a fear of drowning. Yeah. You know, uh, but then I learned how to swim and I got over it. <laughs> so learn how to swim, Makai. Learn uh, how to swim. I know how to swim. Uh huh. It's still scary to th- like he swimming didn't save him. That's true. He hit his head. That's true. Um, but something did save him. Mm, what what was that something, Makai? That something was the gorgeous and incomparably talented Bryce Dallas Howard. Is she really incomparably talented? I feel like you can compare a lot of people to her talent. Well, shut up. Okay. Um, <laughs> for for the sake of this podcast, she's incomparably talented. <laughs> There's um, no one else in this movie we can compare her to. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so now he wakes up in his room. And she's sitting on a couch or a chair or whatever, and she has a cut on her leg. Um, and other than that, she's just she was just wearing his shirt. Yeah, um, she's chill. Yeah, she's like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hang here, veg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's asking her all these questions. She's saying, "I'm from the blue world." And he tells her, her his name, and she says, your name means from the mountains or of the mountains. Yeah. And he goes, how do you know that? She goes, from my studies. So uh, she's a bookworm. <laughs> she's a nerd. Nerd. <laughs> um, and so then Paul Giamatti, or Cleveland, says that she can stay for the night. And then she's got to go back. Um, in this scene where she's, like, snuggled up against him. He is trying so hard not to catch feelings. <laughs> he is in love. I love... So he's like, starts to feel that way. And then he's like, oh my God, you're just a kid. Yeah. And I do like that immediately the movie's like very clear. 
at the this very beginning. They're like, love no, story. no, this is not happening. Yeah, uh, which is great. Um, so then he picks her up and carries her outside, and something happens. What happens? Uh, this wolf dog thing starts chasing him, and uh, they have to run. And he's so funny when he runs. I'm sorry. But this face he makes when he's running, he's like, ah. Both of their faces are the best. Yeah, she's like, oh. she's like pointing or whatever. And um, they run back into the little shed or the house that he lives into, lives in. And uh, the next morning, he's with kind of like an animal control. Uh, he's credited as, as, credited as SPCA guy. Um, so... They're looking around for it. He's saying what it looks like, and it sounds crazy, and he says he's going to look for it. Here's another great Paul Giamatti moment. Is just I feel like if I witnessed that and then had to explain it to an authority the next day, that's like exactly how I'd be describing it. Like, it was a, a dog, but but not, and it was like as grass. He's, as he's explaining it, he's realizing how crazy it sounds. Yeah, he's, he's like, like I, I can't finish sec. my sentence because this is not. He was made of grass <laughs> uh he's great um and then the the animal control guy is like it's not anywhere a big dumb animal can hide because humans are bad yeah and they call animals dumb yes thank you m night Shyamalan, <laughs> for dissing us <laughs> um you know all his movies take place near philadelphia yeah because that's where he's is he from. from there? Okay, yes. yeah. I, I mm-hmm. assumed. I just yep. I guess I never knew that. Every single movie except for The Visit takes place in Philadelphia. Hmm. Um and After Earth. That doesn't take and The Last Airbender. <laughs> Those Hey, actually After in... Earth could take place in Philadelphia. That's true. You really don't know. <laughs> it's something. All hey, I know and is that West Philadelphia after... born and raised Earth. Will Smith. So <laughs> That's the so connection. That <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's probably the connection to why he used Will Smith. I mean, probably how they know each other. I do love Will Smith in After Earth. I haven't seen After Earth. (laughs) Don't. Okay. Is that the only thing you love in After Earth? Actually, I enjoy that movie. Just I, I don't know if you would. Probably not. Um, Um, This is a good time to bring up the a part of this movie that should be dumb and should get on your nerves, but actually it works really well. And that is the sprinklers turning on as a jump scare. Oh, absolutely. It happens four times in this movie, and it's Mm -hmm. the biggest middle finger to the audience M. Night Shyamalan has ever given, and it works every time. Mm -hmm. With this movie, because this movie happened when he he had left it. Disney had financed all of his films up to this one. And with this one, they were going to finance it, and he uh, he was like, hey, I don't want to do that because uh, they had creative, di- creative differences or something. So he left and went to Warner Brothers. And Ironically, the most Disney of all of his films. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and he, c- I feel like it's on purpose. Yeah. I feel like he's like, that. you know what? F you, Disney. I'm going to make Disney, <laughs> but better. He did not. Uh, but <laughs> he tried. That's all that counts. <laughs> so uh, then he goes to Young Soon because he, he figured out that uh, this girl's story, she is a narf, uh, which he has no idea what that means. So he asks Young Soon, and conveniently, 
She knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> I want to know. So the thought process had to have been Narf, foreign, young, soon. Hey, what does this mean? <laughs> That's true. He's like, I don't know what it means. So the woman who's Korean will probably know. And he was right. Which I just feel she like that's know. a little too convenient. That's one of the nitpicky things I have with this yeah, movie. It's a little too sure. easy. But remember, we do we are told later on that all the people living there involved were drawn to the apartment building for a reason. Yeah, so everything happened for a reason. Yeah. Uh which is also the theme of signs. That's true. Which... Because all of his movies take place in the Shyamalan verse. <laughs> And I have more evidence for that later. Okay. Uh, Signs, I feel like, is a better example of it than this movie. That I everything agree. comes together. This The twist in Signs, or it's not really even a twist, the big payoff, it's one of the best payoffs I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. I think this movie is almost better if you see it as just like... like I messed around saying all his movies are connected, mm -hmm. but they really do all deal with similar themes. And I think this movie becomes less jarring if you watch Signs first, watch them kind of delve into the everything happens for a reason, mm -hmm. and then watch this just knowing it kind of has the same principles. Yeah. I, at first I thought you were saying, I feel like this movie's almost better than Signs. And I was like, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> slow down, buddy. Hey. Uh you may I will enjoy say, it I may more. like this movie more yeah. than Signs, but I can acknowledge that it's not better than Signs. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, then we have this scene. Uh, he goes back to his place, and uh, I really like how they did this scene with her uh, showing up in front of him naked, uh, and they just show her, right, her left leg, which yeah. another director or another cinema... Or in another movie... If someone else had done this movie, they would have been like, hey, this is a great moment to have a topless scene. Exactly. A actress. Yeah. You know? And this it would have made this is a great time to exploit our female employees. Yeah. <laughs> or at least, like, do what they did in Splash and have hair cover it. And that would have made it a PG 13. Is it a PG 13 movie? Uh, Lady in the Water? Yes. I think it's PG. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. I feel like it was a, and it still has the same effect, and it also adds to the innocence of the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I like that. I like that they did what they did mm -hmm. regarding regarding the fact that he wanted her to to not put earthly clothes on because she's like a water nymph. Okay. And like that, water nymphs wouldn't just put jeans on. Mm-hmm. But they handled that so well, and it wasn't at all, like, erotic ever. Yeah. Okay, so this movie is rated PG-13 for frightening sequences. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, however, if they had done that topless scene there, it would have almost certainly been an R-rated movie. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been good. That's crazy, though, because, like, okay, it's PG-13 for frightening images, but it's when it's not freaky, it's almost... It's almost treated like a pg movie oh, like absolutely. there's not really any language or anything Which, and i wouldn't be surprised if that rating kind of annoyed m night Shyamalan. yeah 
because um, I'm sure he wanted that he wanted to be like, hey, I want this a PG movie, but also I don't want to give up that it got it has to get freaky at some point. And you know what? The PG thirteen ranking might have been detrimental to the reviews of the movie. I might agree with that because people are going in looking for this suspenseful film like he makes. Yeah. And if it had been a PG movie, they would have been like, oh, I'm going to see a family film that's a fairy tale. And they would have given it more favorable reviews. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Watch the, if you can, it, whenever you can, go on YouTube and watch the original trailer for this movie. Okay. The marketing team did not do a good job of letting everyone know what this movie was about. Okay. It's, well, it is like very, the the trailer for this movie is scarier than anything that happens in this movie. Yeah, and I also feel like M. Night Shyamalan's name attached to this movie couldn't have been the best thing. Yeah. Uh, if, let's say, I'm trying to think, if Chris Columbus had directed this movie, it would have drawn a more family-oriented crowd. But since it's M. Night Shyamalan and he did Signs and Unbreakable and The Sixth Sense, they were... In, I think the general public was expecting an edgier movie than this. You know. You know what would have been a terrible movie? What? Lady in the Water, directed by Chris Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see that movie. That's true. How about Lady in the Water, directed by Steven Spielberg? <laughs> I mean, Steven I mean, Spielberg is going to make it anything good. That's true. He does whimsical very well. Yeah. Um, I okay. think Sean Levy would have been a great choice to direct this. Also. How about Michael Bay? <laughs> 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 she dies. Well, I don't know why There's we're thinking of new directors for it. M. No, Night Shyamalan did a great job on this. That's movie. very true. He does a great job on everything except for the yeah. movies that he doesn't. Um, okay, so this scene of them talking together and it's shot from inside the shower. I love this yeah. shot that you can see her reflection on the top on the linoleum tile on the mm-hmm. right. Um, okay, so the scene where the Asian mom and her daughter are talking and all that. <laughs> this reminds like- me, it reminds me of Freaky Friday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you come back here. <laughs> I feel like this is in the same universe as Freaky Friday and these women, I mean, look at the timelines. When did Freaky Friday come out? I, I bet oh later. My gosh. I bet, no, I bet Freaky Friday came out earlier. Never mind. I forgot. I think you're onto something though. Uh, no, I think, I think I was a kid when Freaky Friday came out. <laughs> Um, like a little kid, but you know, I'm looking it up. I don't care. Freaky Friday. I know. I remember being five and seeing the DVD of Freaky Friday at the library. So I know if I was alive when it came out, I was very, very young. This okay. Freaky Friday came out in 2003, so three years prior to this. So never mind. So I was very, very young. Um, but it does remind me. It gives me Freaky Friday vibes, which yeah. they've remade that movie six times. So, so many times. Um, okay, so I love that scene. Um, then we the, start to learn a little more about the actual plot of this movie. Yeah, but I also want to stay on this scene for a sec. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> um, just to say this line is very funny. I'm trying to find it. Wait, give me a second. Uh, if she's successful in this, she will return with the great eat lawn. So that's that's a big moment. We find out what that is. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So 
Young Soon says something. Okay, here it is. Um, she says that I should be more like my sister. She married a dentist. She married a dentist. <laughs> I don't know why, but I cracked up at that line. <laughs> this movie does a great job of taking these tense moments and then kind of relieving them with one line. You know my, what I mean? Yeah, and my one of my favorite instances of that is anytime uh, Young Soon's talking to him, it she'll say something like, like, and it's like evil and eternal doom. By Mr. Heap. By Mr. <laughs> like Heap. Leaves. It's like <laughs> completely cuts it off. That's great. Okay, so the shower shot. Okay, it's simple yet amazing. And Makai, so you were saying we find out more. Yeah, we just, um, uh, Cleveland talks the story a little more. And after he's learned more of this bedtime story, he's learning that, um, him and the people around him are going to have a little bit more proactive of a role in helping story than he thought at first. Mm-hmm. And so she starts telling him, um, she, he finds out there's all these different, um, people, kinds of people, tropes that are going to be around. Um, there is a writer, uh, there's a guild, there's the guardian, the interpreter, the healer, all these different people. And they're literally, uh, archetypes story archetypes Mm -hmm. but supposedly they all were drawn to this apartment building for and i feel like it's very difficult to it's very difficult to have a scene like this where you explain everything that's going on and make it organic you know yes because a lot of times i'll see a movie and i'll be like they just made this scene to explain this and it's obvious you know which, right. I mean, you can tell in this that this scene was meant to explain to the audience what's going on. Uh, but it's an enjoyable scene. Yeah. You know, and the cinematography helps with that. Uh, or you could go the route of George Lucas and just have an opening scroll that tells you everything that's happening in this movie. <laughs> uh, and that was Brian De Palma's idea. He said, hey, because oh. uh, George Lucas showed them the first draft of Star Wars, and they were like, this is terrible. No one's going to go see this. It's the worst movie I have ever seen. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola said, this is the worst movie I have ever seen. And then Brian De Palma well, said, what if you have, like, a thing at the beginning that tells people what's going on? Hmm. And he said, only if you'll write it for me. So Brian De Palma wrote the opening scroll Oh, of Star no Wars. way. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, the first Star Wars. That's really cool. Yeah. Cool little fact little factoid yeah. for a movie we're not just even a, doing. It's just a quick fact. Quick fact <laughs> jingle. And you don't have to write one because I got one right now. It's a quick fact jingle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please keep that in. Um, so this this scene where he goes to visit Mr. Farber, um, I love the way it's shot. Yeah. Where it just switches from face to face. Uh, what about you? No, I love it. Any, I mean, cinematography in this movie is fantastic. Just like every M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, it's just great. He has an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I especially, Mr. Farber is cool. Mm-hmm. And just the, this story, it's it's probably the least straightforward character arc slash interaction in this whole movie is Cleveland and Farber. And like how they act, and it's almost where it's off-putting, and I can see where that was a, 
that was a deal breaker for a lot of people. This movie, but, the 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 Mr. Farber story is a fish out of water story, which is ironic because this movie is a fish out of water movie. Yeah. But Mr. Farber is the fish. Yeah. Uh story is not the fish. So I really like that. And he tells yeah. her he tells him that uh I just love this whole sequence of him going around and looking for who the writer might be. Yeah. You know? No, it's great. And uh he goes to uh what's her name? Um what's her name? Young, Mrs. Young Bell. Oh yeah. Mrs. Bell. Oh yeah. Uh Mary Elizabeth Hurt, who was in the movie Parents with um didn't with uh Randy Quaid. And uh Cleveland points out that there is a butterfly on her shoulder. And she notices it. She's like, Oh, thanks. And she says, here's the key, though. She says, there's always so many butterflies around this whole building. Mm -hmm. And that's weird because they're usually shy. Yeah. But they're not shy around the building. (laughs) Um, And then he's like, okay, have you written anything recently? And she says, no. Uh, Well, she says, uh, Mr. Farber has been telling my secrets or whatever. Um then he goes to visit uh, two of my favorite characters in this, uh, Mr. Dury and Joey Dury. Uh, and Mr. Dury's doing a crossword puzzle. Joey is reading uh, off of a cereal box. And I love the subtlety of Guys, Joey. Jeffrey Wright is the coolest. Yes. He's just the coolest person around. He, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what I've seen him in recently. Like I've seen him in a ton of things. Yeah. But recently, I have seen him in something, and I cannot think of what it is. Give me a second. Uh, While Jeff, you're right. trying to think, the kid J- J- is it Joey? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's the kid from Heroes. Oh. Ali Larder's son. Nice. Yeah. Um. Jeffrey does play Isaac in The Last of Us Part Two, but I don't think that's oh. what it is that I've seen. Can I haven't played that. It's very good. I played it with my dad. Uh, okay. He is in Source Code. Have you seen Source Code? No, I with haven't. Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I know he's in that. Uh, really good movie. Underrated. Uh, he's a bad guy in it. But I have seen him. Jeffrey Wright for me is someone that I think is so cool, but I have seen him in all the things that you're not supposed to have seen him in. Oh, no. Like, you know, I feel like everyone, especially when they're younger, has actors like that where they saw them in like like Paul Giamatti and Big Fat Liar. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Wright for me is Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. uh, Game Night, (laughs) Game Night. Okay, with Jason Bateman. Yeah, incredible I movie. movie. I, that's I such a good love movie. Love that. We're, we'll do an Had episode no on it. Had no business being as good as it was. We'll do an episode on it just because it's so good. Yes. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so then he goes to this apartment uh, that belongs to this group of guys <laughs> <laughs> who I love. Oh my! I God. love these guys so much. Um, Great writing for all of. I, oh, I'm absolutely. curious to know because it's a lot of ensemble dialogue like they're Mm -hmm. just talking over each other i'm curious to know 
how much of it was written and how much of it is just them. Because I know Shyamalan is very, very thorough mm-hmm. when it comes to screen writes, his screenplays. Like, the, uh, not a lot of it is left up to the actor. Absolutely. He's, but he's I am curious particular, yeah. um, if some of my favorite lines were improv or not. Yeah, okay. Also in this scene, Paul Giamatti switching from, like, inquisitive... <laughs> to frustrated is so good when he says don't put your clothes in the sink <laughs> yeah oh okay stop putting the clothes in the sink <laughs> yeah it's great um also from now on in my everyday life i'm gonna be saying babies on the half tip babies on the half tip i love babies on the half tip and the the way they react to the guy saying it babies there on the half go. tip there, there you, you go. go and earlier they tried to it was like uh blim blam people already say blim blam <laughs> uh and that's brought up later too yeah. um so i i noticed that we don't see young soon often when she speaks like we just see like the back of her yeah. And I don't know why that is. Do you have a I do not. theory? I have a theory. Um, I mean, it's it's possible they just couldn't get the actor as much, so they had to use stand-ins. And then I do have she's, a on, fact. The phone, she's I on the phone a lot. I do have a fact about the actress later. Oh, uh, a very interesting fact. But um, I have a theory that, I don't know, I just, you know the whole Seven Sisters thing that comes up? Yeah. Um, and she's added to it. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like she's kind of an after, afterthought throughout this whole movie. And it's intentional. And he added to that by not showing her a lot. Interesting. You know, because as important as she is to the story throughout this story, you don't really think about her. Yeah. Even though no, she's giving she him just... all this information. Yeah. She is the exposition. It's it's really interesting. It's done really well by M. Yeah. Shyamalan. Uh, so yeah, we don't see her a lot when she's talking and then, uh, he's walking in the hallway and, uh, well, first story finds a book, uh, in his office and starts to read it. And then we cut to this scene in a hallway and we see M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, he plays the role of Vic. Uh, Okay. This is this is what I was waiting for. Perhaps my favorite character in this entire movie is Anna. Anna. Anna's great. I love Anna, especially later. She is yeah. so good. The actress is so subtle and humorous. She's just really good. She's just a silly, fun person who mm-hmm. also is super sincere and kind. And she's and also it's... so into this whole thing. Yeah. And honestly, okay... One thing I love about this movie is I I love subverting expectations, but I say that in not a pretentious way. Mm -hmm. Like I don't go to a movie and expect you to show flip my mind around every time, Mm -hmm. but I do like being refreshed. Yeah. And once I first started this movie, I was like, okay, like I see where this is going. Uh, Cleveland's going to try to convince everyone. It's not going to work. Uh, he may get a couple people on board, and then mm-hmm. it's going to just be him and story against the world. And the the problem of people not believing him really never comes up. No, everyone it, it immediately like, believes him. Yeah, like there's there's one guy who who's just kind of like, 
Uh, okay. Guys, we need to call the police. Yeah. But like, other than that, everyone's everyone I, is just on board, and the sheer amount of people that are just on board is fun. It I makes this movie interesting feel, and not slow. Yeah, and I feel like that's done on purpose because when you think about it, when M, when Vic first meets her, he's kind of she kind of puts a spell on him, you know? Yeah. And controls how he thinks, and I feel like she's doing that with everyone, and that's why no one's really skeptical. Yeah, um, and it's just it further pushes the thing that like, you know, we we talked about how this entire movie takes place in the apartment complex. They mm-hmm. never once leave. They never even show you. I mean, they don't show you what the street looks like in front of it. You never see anything outside the apartment complex, mm-hmm. and that that's because this movie takes place in its own little world. Mm-hmm. It's like and, almost not even our universe. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's a it's like a Twilight Zone thing where it's like its own piece of the universe. Like you it's... know the whole thing about um Courage the Cowardly Dog and how the house is in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing around the house and that's because from the point of view of a dog there is nothing else. Right. We're yeah. the dog. You know? Yeah, We're sucked totally. into this universe and there's nothing else really to worry about. And that helps that helps it make it a little more believable Mm -hmm. that just every single person here is like cool let's help yeah and the only time really that we are subjected to anything out of the realm of this world or this uh moment really this two-hour moment is in this scene right here when she says i read what you wrote a man broke into your house took everything you had and killed your wife and your kids which was out of nowhere and out i was like completely i was nowhere. like whoa that and is just big information but all right I well i have a real it. quick question for you uh, regarding yes. this okay who broke into cleveland's house and killed his wife and children oh is this is this part of the the Shyamalan verse that's what i think oh i need to think wait don't tell me can you tell me what movie he's from? Um, I could. That would be. It would be a little more. Okay. I. I mean. I. I think we've seen him in Unbroken, or Unbroken. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yeah. Oh, is it the man at the end? I think so. Really. I. I mean, there's no, there's no possible way to prove that. But I mean, it's all in Philly. That's interesting um, to think I about. Think, I think because. As we know from Unbreakable, which we could talk about for hours again, is yeah. that the the costume symbolism in that movie shows that if you're wearing bright colors, you have a defined history of mm-hmm. being either super evil or super good. And meaning that the guy in orange at the end of Unbreakable has obviously done what we see him doing multiple times before. Interesting. I like that. So I That's think that guy think is the guy who killed Cleveland's family. I mean, there's no way to disprove it. So exactly. why not? I'm going to believe it. That's my head cannon. Cool. All right. Uh, so that's out of nowhere. And then Cleveland goes to the laundry room and, well, first he goes to fix a light in, um, in Vic and Anna's apartment. And he reads this book that is being written called The Cookbook, uh, being written by Vic. And he goes down and he, he confronts him about it. He's like, hey, I accidentally bumped into the book and I read it. And uh, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, a cookbook. And he's like, well, actually, it's just thoughts and and musings about 
about leaders and politics and issues in the world and stuff like that. This sounds, this is going to sound so old man of me. Mm-hmm. I like that he didn't, I like that M. Night Shyamalan didn't decide to pick a specific thing for him to talk about writing. I like that he was like, yeah, these are my thoughts on the leaders. Mm-hmm. And it was like, interpret that as you will. Yeah. And that's it. It wasn't like, hey, this is my thoughts on, and then gives a specific platform mm-hmm. and stuff. So, because it would have been so easy for him to do that. Yeah. And it, it's, it makes it timeless. Also, it makes Vic, you, anyone, he could be anyone. He could be exactly. left. He could be right. He could be he's an atheist. Your, he he's be your personal he is, hero. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, I like that he didn't get upset that yeah. the Cleveland read it. There's a okay. Apart from Mr. Farber and the whole water people story, there's little to no conflict. You know, yeah, like little to no yeah, serious no. conflict. They coexist with each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, that's cool. Uh, and this is the first time I said M Night Shyamalan is not bad in this movie. He is not a bad actor in my opinion what do you think i you know when you say it like that i 100 i agree with you Mm -hmm. like he's not bad he's really 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 not good yeah he's at least kind of believable yeah uh that's the furthest i'll go with it um i can i can agree with that there is a scene i think where he's a little above average uh, that'll come up but um yeah so this is when he goes back to his house and she says hey you were a doctor and your family died <laughs> so then he's wait like, what was he a doctor a doctor wait a sec is this another thing wait it's it's not a Shyamalan verse thing it's just a foreshadowing oh, thing. okay That's I just true. want everyone to remember he oh. was a doctor oh I didn't catch that <laughs> I'm mad at myself. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I caught it for the first time today, and this is like eighth time watching. Okay. So, so uh, now Vic has come because uh, to the little house that Cleveland lives in because Cleveland's like, hey, you never turned in this form and everything, which brought me flashbacks to high school. <laughs> uh, it really did. I could have sworn I did it. He's like, my he is like, guy. I promise I did it. Please <laughs> don't call my mom. <laughs> um, but uh, he does find it, and the only reason he brought him there is so he could like be connected with story, and there is a connection. There is a heavy connection. Um, Can I bring up something stupid? Yes, <laughs> for a second, please. Anytime I see a director, uh, anytime I see a character in a movie that the actor um, is also the director. Mm-hmm. I always think of a Jim Gaffigan bit where he's saying he wished he could call cut on his own life and direct his own life. And he's saying he walks in and his wife's like, where have you been? And he goes, cut. All right, let's try it again. But this time let's switch up the motivation. You don't care where I've been. You're actually happy to see me and let's try a topless. All right, cool. Action. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I always imagine I always imagine just the movie being real life and the actor who's the direct, like Ben Affleck in Argo. Yeah. I always imagine him just like the plan fails and he's like, cut, 
Let's run it back, and this time you guys are slower. That's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's a connection. We definitely see this connection with them. And uh, Cleveland goes up to Story and says, hey, don't ever talk about my family again. You know, but he doesn't say it in an angry way. He's like, yeah. I really don't just don't want to talk about it, but I appreciate what you're doing. But please don't ever bring it up again. Yeah. So then he goes up to the apartment that belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Bubchick. I'm sorry. Don't you mean Jill from Jack and Jill? Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like I couldn't stop thinking of Jill. Every time this woman talked. That's especially... so true. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm gonna... Here, Unfortunately, wait. I have seen that movie now. Here we go. So wait. I can think about it. Honey, Cleveland's here. He's come to fix the toilet. He's come to fix the toilet. <laughs> oh, that's a dirty joke. I hope you don't get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to point out that Makai is now holding Baby Yoda. Or Grogu. He's just going to chill with us for the rest of the time. I did start watching Mandalorian with my dad. Oh, um, I love that Because we finished the films. Um, his ranking is all over the place. His top five is, number one, The Force Awakens. Number two, Solo. Number three, The Last Jedi. Number four, uh, A New Hope. And number five, Rogue One. You know, like, that's... As much as I have a different opinion, that's a fair ranking. Mm -hmm. uh, he only he looks at them. When you look at them from an action film standpoint, he's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'd agree. All right, back to Lady in the Water. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, he's talking to them, and he's like, "Hey, I can't fix the foil," and he's like, "Well, I called a plumber." Now he's like, "All right, so you met the writer." And you can go home now. And she goes out there, and he goes up to up the stairwell, and he sees her run down, and he's like, "Wait, where is she going?" And the wolf-looking thing, the the I can't think of the that um the uh, that's scrunt the scrunt uh, breaks through the door. And scratches her again. So now we know where that scratch came from. Um, and I I feel like we just have to say it every time. Just Paul Giamatti. Is oh, my gosh. Awesome. He's, he's so he builds the tension here mm -hmm. to where the the little the slow mo shot of the scrunt crashing through the window. At first, I thought my computer was lagging. Yeah, that has the potential that had the potential to be so stupid. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti just makes it so tense that it works. There are so many moments in this movie that he saves. Yeah, you know, I agree. That may, are made just so good because of him. Um, which I know that it's like to nominate this movie for any Oscars is ridiculous. You know, but if it were to be nominated for two Oscars, it would have been cinematography and actor. Honestly, I would, well, I would even score. Go ahead and give Bryce. Well, score. Yeah, yeah. I would even give Bryce Dallas Howard. Some, oh, especially here. later. Yeah, um, I mean, she was so young here, so that would yeah. not have happened. But, mm -hmm. but like, she did very, very well. How old was she in this? Uh, young, young. Because she had already been in. Had she been in Spider Man? She had been. No, no, she hadn't yet. 
I don't think she so. had been in the village. Uh, this okay. So she was. She was twenty four. That's young. Yeah, I mean, that's compared really to how young. we think of her now. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then she's kind of passed out and hurt and all that stuff. So he brings her up to uh, the Ran residence, uh, Vic Ran and Anna Ran, and they're on. Vic is on board with it already. He's yeah. like, "All right, something's happening. We need to get her home." By the way, Anna Anna says "blim blam" here, and it's, I thought oh, that was it's really my funny. favorite thing. I love it so much. <laughs> I wrote it down. Uh, I just I just wrote it down "blam blam." Uh, <laughs> Paul Giamatti's I I don't exactly remember where this is, but it's very hard as an actor to laugh realistically. You yeah. But no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Paul Giamatti may be the best on-screen laugher I've ever seen. Yeah. He knows exactly how better to do than, it. And it's so Better authentic. than Joaquin Phoenix and Heath Ledger. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Paul Giamatti. Is Paul Giamatti our next Joker? But I would like to see Paul Giamatti as the Penguin. Oh my gosh, why'd you say that? Now anyone that plays the Penguin is not going to be as good in my head. Exactly. Dang it. <laughs> um, sorry, Danny DeVito. Um, I said, okay, there's a phone scene. What's the phone scene? I'm not remembering. Oh, uh, when the next scene. When um, he's going into the, the apartment of the, of the Choi's. And she's on the phone and yell with, uh, he's on the phone with oh, Young Soon. Yeah. And she's at a party. And he's like, she's like, give the phone to my mom. Give the phone to my mom. And, and then he like walks in and then you just see him back out like, sorry, 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 because <laughs> he's wearing his shoes. Um, I love so, that. So in that scene, uh, Young Choi, uh, not Young Choi, that's the last name. Young, Young Soon. Soon. Um, Young Soon lets Cleveland know a little bit more um, because, you know, we can't just tell the story at once. We got to learn it bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he lets him know that um, story is what they call him. She's a narf, but she's the Madam Narf. And that's super important. And it's so important that these this scrunt would actually risk the law that the blue world has. Mm-hmm. He would risk breaking the law to actually destroy her yeah. because it's very important. Exactly. Um, in other words, he would risk his life yeah. to because kill her. Because the, the Tartugic are scary. It enforce the law. Mm-hmm. And they're scary, apparently. Absolutely. Um, okay. So after this scene, um, he decides to go down into the pool and into her little trove, which... She has a trove. Which look it's at like this Ariel. trove. It's treasures like, untold. How yeah. many treasures could one cavern hold? I mean, looking around here, you'd think, sure, she's got everything. Uh, also, she has red hair, so it works. Um, but yeah, she, does this movie exist in the same universe as oh, Little no. Mermaid? No, because he left Disney. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, does wait? Then who's Sebastian? Young. <laughs> <laughs> no, because <laughs> of the accent. 
<laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so the, and that makes Joey flounder. Uh, okay. So right here, I wrote this is not an M Night Shyamalan film, in the sense yeah. that it is not anything like his other films. Yeah, not at all. And I feel like that's also a reason for him getting panned by critics. You know? Yeah. Uh, also, what's he doing with the pen here? Or Because um, I, I don't really understand what he's doing with the glass. So it's... I actually wrote this down as a cool detail because I love the design of this little cavern. It's mm-hmm. not like... It, it seems otherworldly. It's like you... You look around and you're like, I don't understand the function of any of this. Wait, looking around here, you think? Uh, you think? Sure, sure. She's got everything. She's got everything. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, hey, Will, do you want a thingamabob? Because uh, I've got twenty. What? You know what? Who cares? No big deal. <laughs> I want more. Uh, <laughs> okay, are we just gonna sing the song now? All right. Um, um, Oh Here's my gosh, our... guys, I can't believe you dared me to sing. Oh all my part of your God, world. I don't even know the words. Looking around here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like the, the TikTok of the girl, like when uh, I was like, and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to sing. Stop, don't dare me. Stumble out of bed and I come to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Okay, back no, to No, but the cups. I, I can explain the cup. Okay. And the pen. So. The I don't think the narfs can breathe underwater. I don't actually know how that works. I don't okay. know the lore of Lady in the Water. But I there is strategically air inside the cups made with like air bubbles, which like mm. sci- in theory is possible. It'd be extremely difficult to execute that deep. But in theory it's possible. Like in Pirates of the Caribbean, they do it with the boat. Um But that's and it's, I think it's specifically placed there for if people go in who can't breathe underwater, they can then put a straw through okay. and suck up some air. It's oh, like, nice. So is that yeah. a straw? Yeah, it's like a... It's, a metal it's straw? It's like a breather thing. Yeah, it's like it's so a straw, but it's definitely made of metal. Are we environmentally conscious here? I think we With are. With our metal straws? Wow. That makes sense because Lady in the Water is a very environmentally conscious movie. Yes, and she probably knows a few turtles, so... It's personal for her. Um, I wrote down here that Paul Giamatti, as as awkward and unassuming as he is, he's charming. Yeah. Like, he's one of those people who, if he lost some weight and really, like, tried to look presentable, he'd be a very attractive guy. Yeah. Um, I wrote down something about a prophecy. Oh, okay, okay. It's a scene where she's sitting down. Vic and Anna and Cleveland are all in the room. Vic is talking to her. And she's sitting down, and she's talking about his future, about what he's going to do with his writings, and someone's going to find him, and someone's going to become a great man based on his writings, and that's why he's important. Yeah, and this was... this. This took me a while to catch on with for whatever reason, but like I, I always forget this was her purpose of coming here. Oh, absolutely. Was to find Vic and tell him this and inspire him. That that is the whole reason she is here. Yeah. So have, now the goal is complete. Have you seen Minority Report? 
No. Okay. It is my second or third favorite Spielberg film. It's my three favorite Spielberg films are Jaws, Catch Me If You Can, and Minority Report. Minority Report, it stars Tom Cruise. It's about, it takes place in the future. It's about a, uh, a crime division in the, in Washington, D.C., uh, police department. And they have these mutants that can tell the future, but they only see murder. And hmm. their thoughts, their predictions are projected onto a screen. And the, and Tom Cruise, who's the chief of police, um, then has to go through and figure out where and when this murder is going to happen so that they can stop it before it happens. Interesting. It's called pre-crime. That's their thing. And there's a scene at the end because Tom Cruise's son is dead. Um, he got like kidnapped and killed and something. And at the end, one of the mutants is sitting just like this across from him. And it's set up the exact same way. And she's saying what happens as if like, she's kind of telling the future mm-hmm. what would have happened if his son had, uh, lived and this scene reminds me so much of it it's like incredible how similar it is and this movie came out about four years after minority report so i'm just wondering if he got some inspiration from it interesting so maybe maybe uh i would highly recommend watching that movie it's his spielberg's most underrated film and i think it may be his best directed film oh wow so yeah yeah um did paul giamatti ever play santa claus yeah, in Fred Claus. Okay, there we go. I was I was wondering because I was like, this guy needs to play Santa Claus. <laughs> um, but yeah, with his milk mustache. <laughs> He's so funny in this scene. Oh, I love it. He is, is so he funny when he lays down. <laughs> Will, um, do we have a crush? Uh, here at Silver Linings, we have, do we have a crush on Paul McCartney? I think Paul we... McCartney. Paul Giamatti. Yeah, okay, first of all, yes. We do have yes, a crush Paul on Paul McCartney. McCartney. We have a crush on Paul Giamatti's acting. That's um, fair. Also, what is this thing he's doing with his leg? He's like, that's his ver. That is Cleveland's version of relax. <laughs> I love it. Um, I this that's because like just made me young laugh. young soon told him he had to be relaxed to hear the rest of the story from the mom. Mm-hmm. This is Choi. This next scene, incredible scene, in the shower, uh, with Anna talking to her. And they're playing this yes or no game where she has to touch her hair for yes. You know? It's yeah. so clever. So good. I love it. Uh, it's one of my favorite film scenes. It may be my favorite scene in the movie. And I love that she's so... Anna is so calm and trusting and, and just pure. And Story knows that. Mm-hmm. Story senses that immediately. I, th- I feel like... You know, we talked about earlier how we, we feel like Story is probably charming everyone mm-hmm. to a degree. I might argue that she does not have to charm Anna. No. And she realizes that. And that's why she's willing to give up secrets that she's not supposed to give up is because she looks at her and she's like, I don't have to, Mm -hmm. I don't have to like touch your heart. I feel like Anna is probably the most pure of heart out of all of them. Yeah. Um, So yeah. Uh, So they do this thing and... This is when we find out that everyone in the apartment complex is kind of a, it's all connected and it's all because of this, this story and all this stuff. And they're all connected. They're all brought there for a reason. And a lot of times in movies, when that happens, these full circle moments are so cheesy. You know, I'm not a big fan of them usually, Mm -hmm. but this was really well done. It because works. of how whimsical and how pure of heart this movie is. What do you think? And because 
when you were introduced to all these characters, you liked them. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're excited when when every time they describe another group of people, you're like, oh yeah, I'm excited to see them again. Yeah, and, and like etc. Um, so then we're introducing like the guild and the healer and the guide and all this stuff. Um, in this scene, Anna is so effortlessly funny. Uh, like when, when she goes, like when Mr. Heap is all in his little thing, he's like, all right, so this is going to happen. She goes, Mr. Heap, you're not stuttering. He's like, I know, I know, I know. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that. She's so happy. She's so into this. She loves it. Um, so then, uh, Mr. Mr. Dury is having to interpret all this stuff and he's just pulling stuff out of his ass. Really? Yeah. He's He's skeptical from the beginning. He's going along with it, but he's mm-hmm. he's yeah. like, oh, what are we? I, I don't know. I don't know. If he's this not a confident true. man exactly. to begin with. But he's yeah. But he's trying he's, to help. He's like, well, okay, nine across. Uh, this stuff. And yeah. uh, I love these guys on the other side of the curtain that are part of the guild. <laughs> when they when they're talking about throwing the party, and the the guy goes, "We're gonna throw a party." <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's great. Um, so they decide to throw this party. Um, because that was, was what was interpreted, yeah. uh, supposedly. And the night before the party, uh, Cleveland says, is there any way I can confront this, this thing and kind of show him who's boss, you know? So he goes out and she, as this movie progresses, so does her vocabulary and her conversation skills, you know? Yeah, uh, story. She starts talking more. She starts becoming more of a normal conversationalist. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, so then there's this big scene where he confronts the scrunt, and it doesn't work, and we don't know why. Yeah, uh, and it turns out that uh, Paul Giamatti is not the guardian. Um, Cleveland is not the guardian. Right. Um. And the scene ends with him being chased by this thing. And then uh, Mr. Farmer walks out and sees him laying on the ground, <laughs> holding onto the, the pool chair. <laughs> and this is where I wrote down Paul Giamatti's physical comedy skills are unbelievable. So good. You know? So, so good. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, I just like how tense this is. It's not a... It's not an action scene at all Mm-mm. it's just the the scrunt standing up slowly mm-hmm. and it's still so tense yeah you're like and you know oh, and, no. and paul giamatti is part of that but also bryce dallas howard is contributes a lot to that mm-hmm. you know she does her her classic run that i feel like she does in a lot of her movies mm-hmm. the gwen stacy uh, run when she's running uh, from the crane no, no, no! Like shouting, run! Oh, like okay, run! okay. She does like, that in a lot of movies. Yeah. No, I was saying uh, in the Spider-Man movie, she does run, and there's oh, that's a true. very she distinctive does. run with it's all arms, you know, and it, that's in the Jurassic Park movies too. It's Jurassic yeah. Park movies, yeah. But yeah, I know what um, you're talking about. Speaking of Spider-Man Three, mm-hmm. you'll recall that I mentioned a scene that I loved in Spider-Man Three. Because of a scene from this movie, Lady in the Water. Ooh. And that scene in Spider-Man 3 was Peter Parker taking a shower after he rips the the symbiote off of him. Because it's cleansing and it's like symbolic. It's clen- yeah. And I always think of this scene when I see that movie of 
Paul Giamatti explaining to the film critic. He's like, well, I think it's uh, cleansing and symbolic. And Bob Balavan is going, no, no it's not. Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of a, a way of M. Night Shyamalan saying these critics are so narrow-minded and they're, they, yeah. they just have... They interpret movies how they want to, and if it's because of their interpretation isn't a good movie, they're going to say it's not a good movie. Yeah. Um, so it's, again, yeah. after being slammed by the about the village, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> immediately writing this movie is just hilarious. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, we see the next morning. Uh, there's a flyer. It says, "Welcome the new guy from 13B." They they just made an excuse to have a party. <laughs> they were like, oh, the poster all- a new guy. Oh, the poster know. also says Babies on the Half Tip. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> babies on the Half Tip. Um, but uh, yeah, so Half Tip Flyer is what I put. Um, <laughs> this scene where M. Night Shyamalan, Vic, goes up to uh, Story. And he has this realization scene where he's like, I'm going to die. Aren't I? I'm going to die young. Someone's going to kill me because of what I wrote because this guy never met me. Um, this is the scene where I think he's not bad. What I'd do you agree. Think? Yeah, I, I'd agree. Yeah. I mean, he's very subtle. And I think part of that is because he's not a great actor. You know? Yeah. But, okay, here's, here's my deal. I guess he he doesn't ruin he doesn't ruin the part which mm-hmm. i think is good like sounds like the bare minimum but actually there's a lot of talent that because like i mean i i did theater in high school and that's the extent of my acting career mm-hmm. if i tried to do this part i would ruin it so that like in other words i'm saying like i say he doesn't ruin it and it sounds like i'm just being an i'm just being a jerk but like actually that takes something Exactly. And I do think it just it by he doesn't ruin it and it makes the character there. I think if he had and I'm sure he cast himself because it was a personal character to him. I'm mm-hmm. sure he saw himself in a lot of it. But I, I feel like if he had high if they had gone with an actor actor, it could have taken the character to another level. Which, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that's not what he wanted. Yeah. I, I just feel like it could have been even better if they had gone with a, a a more professional actor. Yeah, and but people criticizing his acting in this movie, which a lot of people did, um, need to think about it this way. M. Night Shyamalan is a better actor than most people in the world. That's true. You know? Most people yeah. could no, not totally right. do that. And you have to give him something for that. Yeah. Not no, Razzie, I definitely... But- I definitely don't hate him as much as most people do. I think, like, like specifically in this movie, mm-hmm. acting. I, I, I think he got too bad of a rap for it. Yeah. So, we have uh, Cleveland going around and making sure everyone knows that the party's happening. Mm-hmm. And he ends up... He ends up at Mr. Leeds' house. Yes, Mr. Leeds, who and, we met earlier, who has lived here forever. Yes. Guys, Mr. Leeds is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, he's played by Bill Irwin, who's been in a decent amount of other things. Um, he is just—he's he, just so good. Everything he says is just 
so emotional and tugging. And that's, I mean, again, this movie is about emotion. It, the, and anyone who criticized it is is not in touch with their emotions in movies. That's not why they go to see movies. Yeah. But um, that this movie is completely emotional. And Mr. Leeds just looking at Cleveland and going, don't end up like me. And then we get the best music in the entire movie. Oh, absolutely! It's just, it's just a tearjerker, man. That's it's where like, I a wrote tearjerker. The music is incredible. Yeah, the the it's a tearjerker and an, and an, a, a heartstring grabber where you would not expect that to be in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. So then we're at this party, and uh, Mr. Farber shows up, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, I'm Mr. Farber." Uh, I wanted to thank you for having this party for me. And they're just looking at him like, who is this? <laughs> and he goes, I'm 13B. And they're like, oh, good, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> now, this whole party sequence uh, where they're trying to get everything to work properly and it's not working properly. For me, I, I, I was just like kind of bored by this scene. Uh, I don't know why. I just it wasn't really my cup of tea i was like okay they could have done more with it what do you think yeah um i enjoyed it it definitely looking at it objectively it's it's out of place uh-huh. it almost got a little too heist heist movie yeah absolutely um which you know is out of place and i just as a lover of campy movie scenes i enjoy watching it uh-huh. i i do what i do appreciate is um I feel like they tried to make it as short as possible yeah. while still giving you like they let you know that, hey, this isn't working. You know, they told them the universe would align perfectly if they were doing the right thing. It's clearly not. The right They're thing. clearly doing something wrong. Yeah. And they, they they get it out there. They're like, you can even tell that they probably shot more footage. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't they, quite fit together. No, not at all. And I think and my Shyamalan was like, huh. This is a little out of place. Let's kind of get it over with as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Which it jump. takes a really good director to realize that. Yeah. You know? Um, but I do like one part of the scene where he goes up to the guy with the walkie-talkie, and he's like, why isn't the band playing? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. These things have been working. We've been playing with them all night. And he's like, the battery's dead. <laughs> Wave to him, which shows you the guy didn't try waving. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He was. He, was he just, just like, kept trying the walkie-talkie. Hello, hello, hello. Well, this thing doesn't work. I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So then they find out uh, things aren't going right, and uh, you know, the thing isn't showing up. Uh, that she drop Anna drops the mirror. It's like it's just everything's going wrong. Um, then the scrunt grabs story and kind of messes her up and they need to help her because the poison is going to kill her you know so they get the healer mrs bell to hold her and like help her heal and it's not working and then we see mr farber in this hallway now this is the scene that made me realize he is totally taking a jab at critics so you have uh mr dury being the first one to say look i'm just kind of making this stuff up because I want to help, but it's not working. Um, And Cleveland's like, no, 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 we we know that you're the guy. 
uh, because he was so sure. He just says he was so sure. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Dury, <laughs> I forget exactly what he says. Like, but he what goes, kind of asshat or arrogant guy? Would, yeah, yeah. What a kind of arrogant it. person? What kind would of man could be that? so arrogant to to put this young girl's life at danger? Yeah. And it was like, okay, we get it. Yeah. We know what you're doing. Um. So and you, at that point, you're like, oh, so the antagonist is Mr. Farber, but then he dies. You know. <laughs> In the funniest on-screen death we've had in a very All long you see time. is him going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> in that, like, early 2000s uh, Sam Raimi, like, horror. Oh, yes. Fast camera thing, yeah. It's great. And when he's, like, explaining exactly what's happening, he's like, well, there's no sex or nudity, so... <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's dead. Which, that was, like, that was an Abed moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, I thought of Abed. There had been no sex or nudity. Mm -hmm. He's like, so that makes you Kramer, and that makes me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, so yeah, so it's just so meta, you know. It like yeah. perfectly describes the movie. Um, okay, I will say that this whole thing about uh, them realizing that the interpreter is actually the kid. I saw that coming a mile away. Yeah. That was the only one that I was like, I actually think he's the interpreter. Yeah. I, when I he thought was saying it would the be thing something about the cereal like, box. Yeah. I thought it would be something like, oh, we got the interpreter wrong. And they just have to go to him and then it works. I didn't see mm -hmm. the rest yeah. coming. But yeah. So he says that she's going to, there's going to be seven sisters who are the guild. Um, and Paul Giamatti goes, the guild is women. <laughs> it's like okay, you heteronormative piece of. <laughs> it's like and it's like yeah, you know, you know he's just like in shock and he's like oh we had it wrong but yeah. it sounds so like it sounds like he's so sexist just like oh women can be a guild <laughs> uh, what <laughs> this is the way so he goes over to uh, which I didn't really. 100% understand why he went to uh what's her name the um I can't think of their name the Bubchick apartment the the couple like yeah. the older couple yeah because because Joey said it read in the cereal boxes he was like, uh, he is a, a man with no secrets. That's right. A and man it's because his, his wife just tells, tells everything. His to everyone, yeah. Which is great. I love yeah. that. Um, so then uh, the band finally starts playing. And I will say. I don't uh, want to work in Megan's farm. I will say Maggie's farm slaps. Yeah. Um, Silver Tide is the name of the band. They're a local Philadelphia band that M. Night Shyamalan course. grew up watching. Of course. Yeah. Um, I like that song. I, I listened yeah. to it, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's a cover, isn't it, of, of Bob Dylan? I don't know. I feel like it is. It's good. I, yeah. just, <laughs> I just, I like it. Um, so then uh, they're talking in the... They're about to to heal her, and everything's good, and it's not working still. Yeah. Um, 
And I love that he he's like, Anna, you're going to complete it. Because she's been the most enthusiastic and so supportive about it from the beginning. And she's like, oh, really? It comes down to me? Cool. Um, and the kid goes, it's not working because I read it wrong. You know? Classic kid. Yeah, he's like, it's he, not she. Which was kind of lazy. But, <laughs> you know. And he's like, but the butterfly came to you. She's like, I didn't notice the butterfly until you mentioned it. Duh, duh, he was a doctor in his past life. Uh, so he's the healer. <laughs> um, I should have seen that coming, but I did not see it coming. Um, so he holds her, and this raw emotion of him just saying he's sorry and he wishes he could have helped her is so, it's just so great. He's so good. Oh, my gosh. It's just, I mean, he he's talking to his family here mm -hmm. and it's like, that's how he's doing it. And he's just, he heals himself mm -hmm. while he's also healing her. Absolutely. Cause like, remember he stopped writing yeah. and that was his way of talking about his family, remembering that his family and he stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. And just him, like him saying like, I wish you could see story. I think you would have liked her. Like he, he's healing himself and mm -hmm. that's why he is the healer. And then he's also healing story. And then just the, the gorgeous smile on Story's face as she wakes up and sees that yeah. he was the healer. Mm -hmm. Like how happy she is to see him. It's just so, so perfect, so emotional. Like I tear up thinking about it right now. And, and it's just, yeah. Can I just reiterate how happy I am that this wasn't a love story? Yeah. You know, it's perfect. That I love it's non-romantic male-female relationships in oh, movies. Absolutely. They're my favorite. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so then everything's good, and, you know, except that the scrunt is still out there, you know? You know what I'll say what? about the scrunt? What? There are times, and, and I know this is a complaint I've seen mm -hmm. about this movie. I've seen so many complaints about this movie, but this is one. The scrunt definitely seems out of place at some point. Oh, absolutely. At, the, at this end. It's because, like you're so invested in what's happening in the room and then it'll cut to the scrunt and you're, you're like, I, I go back. I want to see. I um, feel like part of me wishes that the movie would have ended with her getting healed. But I, the, the thing is it's, it's necessary mm -hmm. for the scrunt to exist yeah. and it's necessary for us to know that it exists. Yeah. I just feel and like he could have done it better. He, he could have, but at the same time, I do like, what he pulls you know every time we see it because cgi sucked at this point uh -huh. and he didn't even have money for what was considered good cgi at the time yeah and so what he does is brilliant he's just the little shot of the thing running in the door or like him breathing against the laundry machine like uh -huh. i do again it a trend we're seeing in this movie is things that like don't work but he redeems them somehow, whether it's making Paul Giamatti act it really well or having a really cool angle to show it at or yeah. stuff like that. M. Night Shyamalan's whole thing is if you don't have a big budget, just use cool angles. Yeah, exactly. And it works for him, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, he's so innovative when it comes to angles and, and just great shots through things, around things. It's just great. Um, there's... Uh, this part where she goes up to Vic and says, 
Anna will have seven children. You will see two of them. And his face. I feel like this is where he's at his best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's no, so it's heartbreaking, but it's also so reassuring. Yeah, it's like, it's the end of his character arc. Mm-hmm. And it's just with one line, it's the end of his character arc. And it's like he figured he figured out what has to happen. He figured out what he's gonna be, and she's like, and, but also, you're you're gonna be able to love your family for for a little longer. And what a line that M Night Shyamalan wrote. What a great line. Yeah. You know, she will have seven children. You will see see two of them. You know. Yeah. It's just great. I love it. I love that part. Um, then this part is so out of left field, I feel like, when we find out who the guardian is, I don't, it's just kind of confused. I was like, really? (laughs) Okay. So basically. I will say that is the only, that's the only one that's not foreshadowed in some way. Yeah. I think that's why. I even looked for it this time around because, like, all of them get foreshadowed mm-hmm. um, in just the smallest of ways. And I was, I kept looking and I was like, why does this one feel different? And it was because they really, they, the one thing that kind of showed that he was something was at the party, he's staring out towards the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows nothing about it. He knows nothing about it, but he can tell something's up. Yeah. So what I could assume is that he saw the scrunt move. Have we said who the guardian is? Oh, no, I guess we haven't. It's Reggie. (laughs) It's Reggie. It's Reggie. Reggie's the guardian. Yeah. (laughs) And so I would assume what happened is that he looked out, he saw something move. And that was the movie's way of cluing us in that he's part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very subtly, again. But that's all I could find. Yeah. They didn't like... He's, he calls himself a scientist. But yeah. That's not know. a guardian. Is When he calls himself a scientist, is he breaking the fourth wall? Or who's he talking to? He's talking to... Uh, Farber. Faber. Far, Farber. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he's looking directly at the camera. Yeah. Which is kind of... I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching, yeah. but... Um, I love this part where he goes, Reggie, Reggie, just keep looking in his eyes. And it's this, <laughs> it's this transition from panic to like... Oh my gosh, we got him. Yeah. And Paul Giamatti pulls it off so well. You yeah. know? Um, so he does that and all these tree animals come these these gorillas made out of branches yeah. and stuff come out and it's they attack finally him. they're finally here. It's yeah. like they've been this whole movie they've been like, Where are they? They're supposed to be helping us. Mm-hmm. And they come in storming in at the last second. And then the eagle comes and this last shot it's perfect from inside the pool and you just see the eagle come the silhouette of the eagle and wrap itself around her and it takes off and the only thing that's left is gone is cleveland and the the music just stops for the first time Mm -hmm. i mean not like no music but like it just the music dies yeah down and and they're all looking up and they see it going it's just oh i love it it's so good it's perfect the ending sequence uh, after we find out Reggie is the guardian for some reason, is great. Yeah. I love it. And uh, then we see these illustrations again from the beginning uh, to yeah. go along with 
the credits. And that is that's Lady, Lady in the in Water. water. Uh, Makai, good movie or bad movie? Very, very good movie. Okay. Screw all of you who think otherwise. <laughs> I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna go that far. I'm gonna say decent movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Decent. Uh, That's fair. Decent's fair. It's never gonna be on my any list of my favorite movies. It's not even on my list of favorite M Night Shyamalan movies. But it is a lot better than I thought it was gonna be. That's fair. That's fair. I'll accept that. Okay. King Keat accepts that. All right. Um, I've got some facts. His name is Will Steven, then he's gonna read some facts. Yeah. Here's my fact about uh, Young Soon. Oh, I forgot about Young Soon. Director M. Night Shyamalan was delighted when he discovered the unknown Cindy, Cindy Chung. She had been a virtually nothing. And he was like, all right, let's hire you. Um, and then he was shocked to hear that her agent demanded a million dollars for her role in this film. What? Yeah. Uh, he was prepared to pay her 65000 Oh, my God. And they settled for 100000 That's insane. Yeah. Hey, good agent. Yeah. I mean, he got her, he got it bumped up to... 35,000 more. So, yeah. Although, good. was she in anything else? I'm going to look. I, I didn't. Maybe, I didn't maybe word of that got around. Let's see. Cindy Chung. You mean like after this? Yeah. Um, well, she did get a Razzie, so that was probably not great for her career. Uh, but. She was in Spider Man 2. Wait. Oh, okay. It's not a character. Who is it? It's. She's an extra. Aww. Uh, but after this, she did not get a lot of work. Probably because they found out the agent was going to m- demand a million dollars. Yeah. So my next fact is uh, that this is a bedtime story that M. Night Shyamalan wrote for his kids, which yeah. you already knew that. Um, there's, a, there's a very well-made picture book of it. Oh, yeah? And it's like he... If you look it up, Lady in the Water, a bedtime story, it's just like it's a mix of photography, cinematography from the film painted out in watercolors. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it was released the day of the film. Yeah. Um, And it was like it was I remember it being a big deal because my dad really wanted to go get it mm -hmm. and it was sold out all over the place. Cindy Chung was in 13 Reasons Why. Oh, that's her main. Which thing. reason was she, was she a reason? She was reason number fourteen. Oh, okay. To not watch it. <laughs> Have you seen those TikToks where like it's like something that scars you, and then in the comments, someone's like, "This is my thirteenth reason why." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. Okay. So the first choice for this movie was Paul Giamatti. Okay. However, if he didn't accept, these were the list of actors that would have played, that were chosen to play him if Paul Giamatti hadn't accepted. Sidney Poitier, Chris Cooper, Gene Wilder, hmm. Terrence Howard. Wait, Gene Wilder? Gene Wilder. Oh, my God. Uh, Vince Vaughn, who was in Fred Claus. Oh, yeah. That would have been a good movie. Absolutely. Too. I love Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Um, have you seen Freaky? 
Not yet. I really Me want to. Me and my to. dad saw it at the theater. It's good. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. Oh, I do love me some Forrest Whitaker. Don Cheadle. Yo! Yeah. And the person who I thought would have done an incredible job, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Which he's kind of... Other Paul Giamatti. He's Paul Giamatti on steroids, I think. Yeah. He's Paul Giamatti with the proper recognition. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. And my last one, uh, in Pinky and the Brain, Pinky's catchphrase is NARF. And that is where uh, M.I. Shyamalan got it from because his kids <laughs> love Pinky and the Brain. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. So those are my I'm just facts. imagining, I'm just imagining Gene Wilder in this movie now. Like, But this isn't... Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder. He's old, and you'll old see. Gene Wilder. A narf. Favorites and least favorites. Favorito y manos favorito. Uh, Mackay. Yeah. What's your favorite part of this film? Oh, there's so many, but um, I would have to say that Cleveland resurrecting story. Okay. That whole scene. Is my favorite. Cool. My favorite scene is the scene, uh, the yes or no scene in the shower. Oh, yeah, with Anna. Yeah. When they're interpreting, like, when they're figuring out the story. I love that part. Uh, What's your least favorite part of this movie? I don't have very many negative feelings toward this movie, but I guess I'd have to say that um, my least favorite characters just out of by default were uh the couple uh, the the man who has no secrets yeah it was, they were kind of just thrown in there i mean yeah it was funny it was silly but mm, just yeah. if i had to pick a least favorite character would be them so anytime we see them without them that without nice. them this movie would have been the exact same yeah agreed um my least favorite part is uh okay my least favorite part is the party scene the entire part party scene. Oh, like yeah, I yeah. said, it just drags and stuff like that. Um, on IMDb, it says this film was the first of director M Night Shyamalan's filmography not to contain his traditional twist ending of sorts, which I disagree with. I disagree with. It's a much more subtle twist ending, mm-hmm. but it's still a twist. But yeah, I think and there are multiple. I literally wrote. I, I literally wrote this down. I think it's multiple um, little twists. Yeah, that's true. I would say the. The Shyamalan twist ending is the fact that they had all the roles wrong. They mm-hmm. they had all the the people wrong. Yeah. Um. And again, and also sudden. and also that uh, Reggie was the the yeah. guardian, which yeah. was <laughs> stupid. Um. That also might be my least favorite part. But yeah, do you have anything else to say about this, Mackay? Um. Stop hating on movies because they don't fit just your traditional mold of what you think is good viewers and listeners like and also don't don't go into a critically panned movie expecting it to be bad because if you do that it will be bad exactly i mean yeah uh good good can be objective like there are objectively good and bad movies like if we're talking about quality but there's also just different ways to look at movies. There's different ways to watch movies. And everything has, every piece of art has a different function. And not all of them are to tell these ridiculously high standards that Reddit has set for storylines mm-hmm. nowadays. Now, like, 
it, it doesn't all have to be a massive culmination of a film. Sometimes it's there to make you feel something. And I think that's really important. To, and Lady in the Water is just a perfect example of how we all need to chill a little bit on how we treat our movies. Yeah. And as we say on this podcast, uh, every bad film has what, Makai? A silver lining. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.